If I were to ask if there were any of you, other than probably some small children, who had never heard of the prodigal son before, I dare say it probably wouldn't see a single hand. We all know the story of the prodigal son. It's because we love it, and we associate ourselves with the younger son who left, and we relate to the words of the father and his actions. When he sees his son far off, he rushes out to greet him and bring him home. That's a wonderful thing, and it makes us feel good. It makes us feel good because Jesus told that parable, and we feel that we are close to God. The other day, yesterday morning, I was with my barber, and uh, he's not Catholic, but he knows that I am a deacon, and I was telling him that uh, I have to do the homily, preach on the prodigal son, and he says, oh, I know it well. And I said, yeah, but there's one thing missing that we don't talk about in the prodigal son relationship. And he says, yeah, it's the second son. And I was shocked. I was in disbelief because that's exactly what I want to talk about, the second son. We have a situation where throughout this particular passage, we feel close to God. It says so that I am here with you always. In fact, the second son was even told, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice. And all we know about the second son is that he was angry. He's angry at his brother, and he's now angry at his father for having a party for the son who took half of the inheritance and left spent it all and now comes back and he's rewarded with nice clothes and a fattened calf and so forth. One of the problems that we have, I think, 2,000 some years after all of this was described to Christ's disciples, is that we know that God is with us, but we become used to that And we tend to accept that as something that is there always. But we don't think about it. And that's the risk. When we don't think about God and allow him to enter into us and wash us as water would wash over us as we bathe, then we run the risk of getting into trouble. Now, it's very difficult for us to relate sometimes to what went on 2,000 years ago, but let's put it into perspective of a reflection that I read and that I would like to share with you. This particular reflection was written, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it was written by an Amy Florian who's a teacher and a consultant working in Chicago. And she's, uh, she's very active with the... Um, with the Passionist. She writes, Gandhi once said that Christianity is a wonderful religion if only someone followed it. Jesus laments the same thing, frustrated with all who proclaim his name and yet do not know what he teaches. I don't think that dynamic has changed since Jesus or Gandhi's time. 
After all, I read about Christians espousing the death penalty as if Jesus taught us to kill someone who kills another. I observe Catholics who would deny communion to people who don't obey every letter of church law as if Jesus didn't freely welcome sinners to the table, often preferring their company to the righteous ones and upholding their dignity. I hear Christians shouting hateful things, accusing immigrants of taking away jobs or resources from those more entitled, as if Jesus taught us to hoard what we have, exclude the immigrant and the stranger, and assert our own rights over those of others. I see Christians who support any legislation that adds to their business profits or cuts their own taxes, regardless of its impact on others as if Jesus didn't disdain the love of money and laud those who give even from their own need. Even more disconcerting, many Christians with these practices assert that they are following Jesus' teachings and even defending the faith. What kind of foundation are we building under our society, our church, and our own souls? Interesting comments that the the woman makes. And the point is that we, like the older son, who get angry, and there's nothing wrong with him being angry at his father and his uh, younger brother, but he fails to turn back to the father. He fails to go into the house and celebrate. He fails to recognize that the father's still there that the Father loves him. And like us, when we fail to realize that God is there for us, he tells us that all the time, scripture after scripture after scripture reading, that I'm there for you. I want you to come to me. He gives us a free will, and in that free will, he wants us to enjoy life, but he also wants us to turn to him and rely upon him and to trust in him. And to say, Jesus, I trust in you. Take charge of my life. I believe that you are with me every day. And to prove that, I trust in you so much that I want you to take charge of my daily activities. Everything that I do, I will come to you with any problem that I have, small or large. Even if I'm just washing dishes or doing the laundry or washing the car, whatever that is, I do that because I love you and I know you are here with me. If we don't learn to do that, we become more and more like the older son. We have to keep Jesus at our side. We have to remember that he is there with us. I want to share with you Something I came across, and I thought this is a a perfect conclusion to our reading today, and a conclusion about how much Jesus loves us. There is a legend of a Cherokee Indian youth's rite of passage that is quite interesting. The father takes his son into the forest, blindfolds him, and leaves him alone. He is required to sit on a stump the whole night and not remove the blindfold until the rays of the morning sunshine 
through it. He cannot cry out for help to anyone. Once he survives the night, he is a man. He cannot tell the other boys of this experience because each lad must come into manhood on his own. The boy is naturally terrified. He can hear all kinds of noises. Wild beasts must surely be all around him. Maybe even some human might do him some harm. The wind blew the grass and earth and shook his stump. But he sat stoically, never removing the blindfold. It would be the only way he could become a man. Finally, after a horrific night, the sun appeared and he removed his blindfold. It was then that he discovered his father sitting on the stump next to him. He had been at the watch the entire night, protecting his son from harm. Let us not forget that God is sitting on the stump next to us, always watching out for us, always reaching out to us, and always there to protect us from all harm and all concern. May we be blessed by God.